Hi, welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. I am your host, Katherine Canty. You can learn more about me and my team at katherinecanty.com. For more than two decades, I have been able to travel the country and help other people grow their business. From those experiences, I was able to work with a proposal team that generated success 90% of the time for over a decade. We have created a leadership coaching program that is creating 100% measured results as seen by the leaders, peers, and stakeholders. And finally, I've spent nearly a decade in boardrooms, corporate boardrooms, where we are learning what's working and what's not. And more importantly, we're able to take the communication from the boardroom and get it down to the front line so execution is easier to implement. You know, from all these experiences, we created a framework called Business Vitality. These are all of the best practices of leaders and and opportunities that have been coming up decade after decade. And a lot of this stuff has been in practice for more than 20 years, 30 years and beyond. And what we're learning is a lot of these folks that are remaining vital in business today are having to think differently. And to share a quote from one of my CEOs that I've worked with in the past, he told me all day long he can hire folks, but what he needs more of are people who think outside the box. So in an effort to pay it forward and celebrate successes, we are going to be sharing stories of leaders who are thinking differently and remaining vital in business today. Please stick to the end and we will share how you can be a guest on the show. And thanks so much for being here. Andrew Kelly, you are the Chief Commercial Officer of BoxLock, found on the web at getboxlock.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me, Catherine. I really appreciate it. So I have to know, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit high level, what is BoxLock? Yeah, so uh, BoxLock is a supply chain access control solution. So basically... Uh, <laughs> it's a lock that has a barcode scanner. And so when the lock hits a, a barcode scanner or a QR code, it opens up. And so you can think about uh, barcodes or QR codes as digital keys. And so in healthcare, aviation, and other places in supply chain, we're securing cubic volumes. That's what we do. I love it. So these are, you know, when you're driving down the interstate, you see the 18 wheelers. They yeah. are like the bloodline of getting everything around to us. And on the back of the truck, especially the CVS and the Walgreens and some of those that are out there, they have these different types of locks that are on the back of the truck. And yeah. so that's that's basically what this is. Is that right? Well, it, it could be. I would say that maybe three out of four of our customers actually have these stationary as opposed to moving on a 53-foot dry van uh, trailer. Uh, but it absolutely could be used for that. Um, so healthcare is our number one industry vertical. And so inside of healthcare broadly defined, so pharmaceuticals, right? And so that could be cell therapies, gene therapies, vaccines that could be on a truck, or they could be in ultra low freezers. They could be, um, you know, in a cage, uh, particularly if it's uh, not temperature sensitive, moving away from pharma into uh, things like, you know, medical specimens or PPE, like who hasn't heard about PPE in the last two years, <laughs> right? And PPE yeah. is still being hoarded. It's still hard to get. And, you know, there's just lots of things where having data in your supply chain makes decisions easier. Okay, so I spent seven years in agriculture and going out and looking at the food supply system that we have in America, which is amazing because I love to eat good food and I'm grateful for our farmers. 
would something like this apply to our food safety? And um, I know that USDA has to do a lot of testing for food quality to make sure that, you know, certain metrics are met. Is this, could it even be used in the food industry? The only agricultural application that I have had uh, a recent conversation around was, it actually wasn't in the US, it was in the Dominican Republic, but it was around bananas. So apparently in the Dominican Republic, containers of bananas enter the north side of the island. Drug smugglers intercept them, take bananas out, put drugs in, and use those containers as a distribution vehicle to uh, distribute drugs across the island. And so that's sort of agriculture. I don't think we have that rampant a problem here uh, in the the U.S. Um, I would say um, from an agricultural perspective, taking a big step back, right? So I think most countries, we tend to waste about 30 to 40% of the food that's purchased, you know? And so, and that's a persistent problem that has been happening for decades. And so uh, the criticality of the food supply is lower uh, from a physical security perspective. Now, of course, there's the the Food Safety Modernization Act or FISMA um, Mm -hmm. that is designed so that outbreaks of E. coli, Listeria, um, things that happen with, you know, uh, salads and poultry and, and, and dairy so that it's not a health concern. Um, the challenge there is typically temperature. And we do work with temperature uh, because you don't want the poultry, for example, to have a temperature excursion up to, say, 90 degrees. That would not be good, right? You want it in a controlled temperature band uh, from uh, effectively uh, the processing plant you know, all the way to the home if you can. Now, typically that stops at the, the grocery store. And so from, um, you know, sort of pickup de- delivery from the plant to, you know, your local grocery store, that's where that temperature monitoring really comes into play. And we work with all kinds of third-party um, devices, including temperature sensors. That's interesting. Okay. So you collaborate with many different types of, of industries, it sounds like. Um, the medical, the PPE, um, the supply chain impact that's that's been huge um, for the work that you guys are doing with with Boxlock. And so I'm kind of curious, what has happened, in your opinion, to the supply chain post-COVID and how is that impacting your business? Oh, that's such a loaded question. Okay. I know. <laughs> so, so lots <laughs> has happened to the supply chain. Um, so I'll try to take the question and split it apart. Let's talk about supply chain generally. And so um, capacity, right? So uh, for trucking companies that provide capacity to shippers, you know, we're about to be in RFP season or re- uh, request for proposal season, which is traditionally where uh, carriers say, okay, shipper, here's your best rate. Let's get a contract and let's let's uh, partner up. Um, that is being extended because capacity is so tight, right? And that means that these trucking companies, you can just make a lot more money, right? But this is not just a ground execution challenge. It's also happening with containers. So in the US, I think um, Long Beach and LA are the two biggest receiving ports uh, for uh, goods from Asia Pack, right? And right now, there are numerous containers that are just sort of sitting waiting uh, because of port congestion. So that's number one. And number two, uh, one of my buddies actually just sent me this data this morning that it's almost $25,000 to get a container from Asia to the U.S. Lots of shippers that are sort of on the edge that didn't have long-standing pre-existing relationships that don't have tremendous volume 
they're finding it really, really challenging. And so, you know, that's why the last 12 months or so, there's been a really big push to try to reassess um, the, the origin of supply and thinking more about domestic production, because if you literally have to pay $25,000 on a ship, which is typically your most economical to get some, uh, way to get something out of Asia pack, um, that's cost prohibitive for, for so many, right? And it starts to equalize um, the higher labor that we have here in the US. So, so that's happening from a supply perspective. Um, the other thing that's happening, obviously, is this move to digital. That had been happening, right? Um, I think that in healthcare, hands down, the highest growing subsegment in healthcare has been virtual care or telehealth, right? Mm -hmm. Over the last 18 months. And it's because many people, <laughs> you know, uh, I guess it's the old adage, I don't want to go to the hospital. That's where sick people are. Well, that's true, but that's also where the doctors are, <laughs> right? And so, um, you know, the, the medical claims for things like, um, uh, you know, uh, cardiology and oncology specialties are actually lower because people may be experiencing chest pains or they may, uh, you know, notice a lump, but they're not going and getting uh, diagnostics and biopsies, right? And so that has, um, I, I think, really changed uh, how people think about virtual care, uh, because mm -hmm. if you can get a video conference or a call with a uh, a doctor or a nurse, then that's great. Now, obviously, you know, you can't email a pill, right? So there's still a physical element that needs to complement the digital um, diagnosis, you know? And so that's one of the things that I've seen on the healthcare supply chain side of it. Uh, and then aviation is another place where we spend a, a fair amount of time. And so I think that maybe as recent as a year ago, People were talking about it's going to take the aviation sector in the U.S. five years to get back to the same level that it was in 2019, right? Uh, because revenue passenger miles are way down. There's no way that people are going to get back on planes again. It's not going to happen. Well, let me tell you. So I, I've taken four flights sort of post-pandemic or whatever this period is that we're in right now. I don't think we can really say it's post-pandemic, uh, but, you know, all of my flights have been full. Now, some of that's, you know, summer travel. It's not all business travel, right? Uh, but I think aviation is rebounded at a much faster clip than people expected. And as a result, what that means is those uh, those mechanics, um, those ops personnel, um, those, those people that work at the airport in concessions, right? I live in Dallas. In DFW, the slow return of the people that are working the concession stands is the reason that you see lines for coffee that are longer than you will ever see probably again in your lifetime, because there literally are fewer options as a result of some of those uh, concession folks being put out of business because of the lack of aviation travel, um, you know, a year or so ago. And it's just taking longer to kind of rehire and sort of regroup and recover, even though the foot traffic from passengers has picked up a lot faster than people think. And so I think for, for uh, you asked about box lock, for, for us, I think that uh, the change is good opportunities to talk to people about the pains that they're having, talk to people about data in the supply chain, um, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, visibility or uh, the uh, ability to take a look at what happened and where and who. So you have a chain of custody. Chain of custody applies to many, many different things, right? So if you've ever sat in an airplane on a tarmac for four hours with the pilot saying, folks, it's just going to be another 15 minutes. 
and you know, four hours in, they're rolling out the, the, the alcohol carts and the peanuts and stuff like that. So that's called aircraft on ground. And what that really means is um, there may not be a part that's nearby. And so that part may need to be expedited in uh, to put on that plane because you and I can go to Home Depot for screws and bolts and fasteners. Let's not do that on an airplane that has a million parts, right? That's a bad idea. Talk some more about that. So when you, you obviously PPE, medical, that's definitely, you know, a, a great use for box lock and just being able to monitor this information. But talk about the importance of it around you know, as an airport operates and gets back up to functioning. I had a, a friend of ours who out traveling for work and he couldn't make it to dinner because he's taking a picture. It's five guys changing a tire on the plane. He's like, I'm not going to make it. This is definitely going to turn into a 15 minute into a four hour situation. So y'all right. go ahead. So talk to us a little bit about how you guys are helping with the aviation side of it. And um, just, you can't go out and go get a screw and, and, and screwdriver and fix it. It's not that simple for an airplane. Yeah. So, um, so there's a cottage industry um, in the aviation space. And so the, the terms are MRO or tech ops. So MRO stands for maintenance, repair and overhaul. And tech ops is sort of technical operations, which is typically the term that carriers use it, right? So, so us as consumers, we may fly, you know, American or Delta or Southwest mm -hmm. inside of those large carriers and inside the smaller regional carriers as well. And, and also in uh, executive aviation, I mean, I don't fly private, but some of my friends do, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> all of those people, right, uh, need to be able to, you know, have the, um, uh, the the logs, the chain of custody, compliance with the FAA regulations, depending upon uh, what part type they are. The, the FAA has like part uh, 91, 135, 145, which are basically different designations for folks that can work on planes, right? And so uh, MRO and tech ops personnel are the ones that are responsible for making sure that uh, the, the, the chain of custody, uh, for example, um, Engine A should only get parts from uh, cabinet A. Engine B should only get parts from cabinet B because if you mix them up, then bad things can happen, right? And the other thing is, um, you know, just securing the flight line, like where the planes physically take off, right? Engines are sort of an amazing thing, right? So they take fuel and air and they make magic, right? Um, you know, it's the Bernoulli principle of the differential pressure um, on the plane's wings that actually creates the list, but it's kind of like magic, right? However, because there's so much that's being pulled into that engine, the tiniest thing uh, can be catastrophic. And so foreign object debris or, or FOD control is a real thing. And so what that looks like is, say you're overhauling an engine, you literally have to find the last screwdriver and put it back. Make sure that it's in the cabinet because if that screwdriver is actually left inside the engine and it takes off with humans on board, then catastrophe can ensue. And this, this happens both in civilian and military applications all the time. And that's why the FAA will find people. And so it's publicly disclosed. The FAA has a list that they, I think, update on either a monthly or quarterly basis, all the fines that have gone out to carriers and to tech op shops and things like that. And so uh, making sure that these folks have tools close to the point of consumption uh, they have data on the tools, the parts, whether they're in bulk cages or tool cages or even, you know, 40 foot containers with um, uh, inventory management. Like all of these things are sort of what's happening behind the scenes um, to make that plane flight worthy. Thank you. And so 
tons of processes to keep us safe, tons of, you know, just true and tried procedures and, and constant tweaking um, is needed to, to be able to, to drive success. And when I, I look at your, your LinkedIn profile and all the experiences that you bring to the table, there's a lot of strategy that you bring to the table. And you've had a number of startups, lots of just technology and um, just an incredible, just plethora of experience. Can you talk about, you know, how strategy and, and planning is impacting kind of your day-to-day and kind of where you're going? Um, the best companies, the CEOs, founders that I've worked with, they always start with strategy. And that's kind of what leads the cause and, and creates the results. And since you're an expert on that, can you just talk a little bit about that and, and the importance of it and how much of your time is used towards strategy versus the, the day-to-day stuff? Sure. And so um, I'll talk about the, the context of technology startups. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the simplest definition for me of what strategy is, is strategy is knowing what you will not do. That's it. Like now, it, like it. when you peel the onion back, right, you have to start from a place of, you know, what is the vision and what's core, right? And then as you start thinking about adjacencies or things that are away from the core, you have to spend less and less time on those things, right? You know, one of the frameworks I use a lot, and this is, uh, to me, this is in startups, this is in big companies, it's, it's, uh, it works for sales, it works for product development, it works for finance, right? And so that's people, process, and tools, right? And so uh, people, Right. So if you're a startup, like a sole founder, you are the people, you are all the people. <laughs> right. And so, you know, you're not yet thinking about a team. Maybe you're thinking about a co-founder or some co-founders. Um, my first company out of, out of MIT, um, you know, I assembled some co-founders that were basically in my dorm, people that I saw every day, more or less. Right. And we built some circuits out of the circus lab, you know, <clears throat> um, uh, the process. Right. So the process, I think, is proportional to what you need to get done. Um, you know, I worked at IBM. It's probably like the biggest place I ever worked at in my career. And, you know, the level of process at IBM is completely inappropriate to startups in almost every single instance, right? It's just too much. You can't have three ring binder type processes uh, when you're maybe, you know, one to 10 people and you're just getting going. You have to flex more than that. Uh, and then on the tool side of things, I think a lot of people... Uh, you know, we'll rightly start off with free tools. Free tools are amazing. And there have never been more free tools, right? So from, uh, you know, getting going on, you know, Amazon Web Services or using free things like Calendly, um, I I bet if we, you know, spent 20 minutes, we could probably list out 10 to 50 different free tools for startups that you can use uh, from, you know, calendar setting to video prospecting to pipeline management to, um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, marketing copy and animation, and like all these kinds of things are relatively easy uh, to, to uh, stand up. The challenge is you can over-tool, right? And so once you get past the point of 10 or 15 or 20 tools, it's probably more than one human can really master and be effective, right? I think at the core, there may be five or 10 tools per human that you can really use effectively uh, in order to get things done. And so, I think about strategy as what you will not do in the context of people, process, and tools, and go from there. Great answer. I love it. As we uh, as we start to wrap up, um, I always like to ask everybody, um, and you obviously have had a huge amount of success and are just going to continue to to 
exceed all expectations. I can I feel it and that you've shown it, you're gonna do it. But part of this is like, you've gotta take a, a step for yourself and time for yourself. Do you find that it's important to be able to recharge? How do you do that? And kind of what are your thoughts around that? Oh yeah, right. So um, I play guitar, I, I like chess, um, I like deadlifting. Um, my golf clubs are in my trunk. I imagine that I play golf. I don't actually play golf though. <laughs> you know? um, and then I, I volunteer as well. So, you know, one of the things that I am re-upping for, the, I think this is the fourth cohort. Uh, so Impact Ventures is an accelerator for underestimated founders. And so um, being able to mentor a founder sort of one-on-one -on -one for eight to 10 weeks at a time to talk about either, you know, corporate formation or business plan or how to think about raising funding or how to think about building the team or, or, or strategy, right? Like any of those kinds of things. Um, I think that if you've started two companies before, you, you, you kind of can figure it out, right? You know enough of where the landmines are that you're more likely than not avoid them, right? But if it's your very first startup, and there are things that you haven't seen or heard of before. If you don't know what pre-money valuation is, you're going to lose the negotiation on how much equity to give up to an investor because you just don't know, <laughs> right? And so uh, there are basic things like that. And so I find it very refreshing to kind of give back uh, through uh, volunteering. What was the name of the group again that you mentioned? Uh, it's, uh, it's Impact Ventures. And so they're based here in Dallas, but they've taken founders from, I talked to one founder, she was in Alaska. Um, I think the founder I'll get matched up with uh, probably in the next week or two. Um, I think he's based in California, actually. That's awesome. Thank you for doing that. I love that you're just continuing to feed it forward to more people that are, that are coming this way to be able to give back. I think it's extremely important. And um, if anybody would like to learn more about you, Andrew, and the work that you're doing, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, shoot me an email um, or uh, it's probably easier to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just Andrew Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. Um, you can follow, you can connect, you can DM me, you know, whatever is easiest for you. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Andrew Kelly, you are the Chief Commercial Officer of Box Lock, found on the web at getboxlock.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, Catherine. I enjoyed it. My team and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Business Vitality Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. If you know of another leader, another CEO, a founder who has another success story that they are willing to share and be able to pay it forward, we would love to highlight their stories on this podcast. You can find more information at katherinecanty.com. And in the meantime, if you could take a minute and rate this show, that would be super helpful because that's going to allow more people like you to find us in order to continue to pay it forward. Again, if you need to learn any additional information, we are happy to help. You can find us more at katherinecanty.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn with my name, Katherine Canty. Thanks so much for being here.